Hey everybody, welcome to The Afterword. I'm Dave Tish. If you can pick up in my voice a little bit of hoarseness, just a little bit of hoarseness, it's because I literally just got back from a concert. My son, for my birthday, purchased me tickets to go see Boys to Men live and in concert. So my son and I just got back from that. At any rate, this concert really made me nostalgic for 90s music and 90s R&B in particular. And I was reminded that I actually think the very first Christian song I ever heard, and I'm not talking about Christmas carols because those are probably the first Christian songs that I heard, but I think the first Christian song I ever heard was early in the 90s. It was by a group called Arrested Development. It was the song Tennessee. And in that song, it's a black man chronicling his journey with God to go back to his roots and retrace the steps of his forefathers and try to figure out where he's going, where he came from, and what all that means with God. And there's a line in the song that has always stuck with me. It's stuck in my mind like a splinter. In that song, the narrator is speaking to God and he says, I know you're supposed to be my steering wheel and not just my spare tire. I know you're supposed to be my steering wheel, not just my spare tire. So Lord, I ask you to be my guide and force the truth. For some strange reason it had to be. He guided me to Tennessee. This is the first time that uh, that concept ever occurred to me, the idea that God would somehow influence a human being or have some sort of um, effect on the way they lived their life. This was radical. And of course, this is what the story of Abraham shows us. Abraham cedes control of his life. He turns over the steering wheel to God, lets God drive. And it's a very frightening thing. This week, we get into that very topic. Uh, This week, Steve Clifford comes by to talk about how God can shift our heart, our motives. In the Old Testament, the word for heart is the word for motives. It's like what drives you, what controls you. And of course, we are all driven by lots of things, and often it's not God. So we're going to look at the four controlling motives that most people have to deal with. Um, One of these four is probably the one you struggle with, uh, power, control, Uh, acceptance or approval, and then comfort. So we're going to look at those four. Steve Clifford joins us for that conversation. And then we have Bible nerd out time with Sarah K. Lee, and we're going to examine the word faith, which is such a weird and mushy word. If the word love is mushy, the word faith is even mushier. But in the story of Abraham, as we learn, you gotta have faith. Okay, we'll examine what that means. All that and more ahead on this week's episode of The Afterword. All right, here with Steve Clifford. Steve. Hi. So good to have you back. Great to be here. All right, so let's just dive right in because this week uh, got into some some pretty raw areas. This is about motives. Mm-hmm. And the idea of um, the chapter, the idea of the kind of the lesson of Abraham is that the word heart, often we think of as being about our motives, but really it's about our motives. Um, we think of it as our emotives. Yeah. And it's actually about our motives. Oh, look at that. Nice yeah. little wordplay there. I like that. Yeah, thank you. Okay. So um, 
when when the Bible talks about heart, it's talking about your control panel. Like, what drives you? What makes yeah. you decision? And the, yeah, in fact, in the Old Testament, sometimes it'll be translated your gut or your stomach. Oh yeah, it's from the center of you, from the very right center of your being. The problem is most of our centers of beings isn't really about God and trusting and obeying Him and living in full abandon like Jesus modeled, but rather something else, a darker clouded. And so we talked about the four kind of things that we have to root out. Yeah. And those four motives that often drive us are performance, the need to win, approval, the need to have people like you. Yeah. Control, the need to know every plan, every detail. Mm-hmm. And then comfort, and that's the desire for comfort. You never want to do anything difficult because it might impinge sure. on your comfort. Just pastorally, as you reflected on those, what what, were, what are some of your thoughts? So it, the first thing, it is it's super helpful because this is um, it's an oversimplification of really all of the stuff that is going on inside of us mm-hmm. and, and and the psychoanalysis of what's really going on. When you can take things down and put them into four categories of words that I get, I'm, I'm help, it's helpful for me. Right. And it, I think it's helpful for most folks. Um, who knows what's behind my need for performance? And if you want to dig really deep and try to find my daddy issues, you can do that. Mm-hmm. And you're sure going to find them. But it's but it's 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 helpful for me just to know, you know what, I I need to win, and somehow who I am and how people see me and how I see myself gets wrapped up in that, and um, I don't have to go much deeper to know that's a problem. Right. And that my primary emotion coming out of that's you know is anger that's going to yeah. trip me up. Yeah. And uh, you know that it's just imp- at the end of the day, if you're going to build your systems of control or your 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 feelings of well-being around a performance, it's impossible to win all the time. Yeah. You just will constantly be face-to-face with people that are better than you. Yeah. And they should be. That's the way God made them. And instead of celebrating that and living in the freedom of what Paul says, by the grace of God, I am who I am, mm-hmm. and the grace is not without effect— I mean, what a free, what a free place to be when you can say, "Yeah, I'm glad you're, I'm glad you are as good as you are with what the things that you do. Mm-hmm. I'm good at some things, and I'm relaxed about it. And uh, there's real grace in that place, but it's tough to get to. Yeah, well, I even think about probably one of the greatest winners of my lifetime was Michael Jordan, and then what happened is his body quit on him, and then he couldn't win anymore. He's 45, 50, couldn't do it anymore. He just, he couldn't take it. It, He had to go through a massive, I mean, it's just, everyone, the point is, even the best winners eventually can't. Yeah, I mean, it's impossible. Except Tom Brady. Tom Brady, (laughs) Tom Brady apparently will. He apparently can keep going. He will never lose. Nine touchdowns in the first two games. (laughs) He's making me sick. Um, But I mean, it's impossible to always win. It just is. And so um, it's it's leaning your ladder your, that you're going to try to make your life about. You're leaning your ladder against the wrong wall. Okay, so you talked about performance. I'm assuming that's because that's the quadrant that's most. That's that's most. Yeah, the, I struggle with all of them. So I, sure, you know, I'm I I'm. But most people have one that's a little bit more. Yeah, I would dominant. say that performance is my first. Yeah. And the thing that's helpful for me is is that I ask myself, what's the what's the emotion I I find tripping me up most? Yeah. Um, and it's it's not you know one of the others. What, what Coward, are the other? cowardice, boredom, worry. Yeah, it's it's typically not those. It's clear. It's anger for me. Yeah. So my mine's approval, and so my my problem uh, my fear is rejection. 
Like, oh, yeah. And so what I do is I perform really well. So I look like I'm a performer because I, I want to perform really well. But I'm not performing to win. I'm performing for approval. Right. So there's right. it's weird because it, it looks is. different. And even I think about your wife who is also a high performer. But she doesn't perform to win or for rejection but because of her own personal standards. Yeah. She wants things to be perfect. She wants to control. She wants to control. <laughs> right. So it's so interesting how... But you're saying if we get to the core of this, we can actually invite God into the conversation. Well, and you know, and we, without oversimplifying, it's always a combination of things. Of if course. I was just a performance addict, sure. to borrow the, the dialogue or the vernacular of McGee, the, the book Search for Significance, if I was just a performance addict, well, that'd be bad enough, but at least I could, you know, I could focus there. But I got leaks of approval in there, too. Sure. And, and um, there's a dark side of me that longs for comfort. As well, uh, yeah. So, well, who uh, doesn't? I mean, to to a certain extent, to a certain extent, all of us want all of. These. Of course, yeah. Um, but what you're saying is that this examining our motives allows God to get into these 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 life driving things. Yeah. Well, here's what I would say. I would say, if you're listening to this and you're not sure where to start on your character, um. You're either really godly or you're not paying attention. Mm. So here's what I'd say. Is that rather than making it very, really super complicated, just go to the person that knows you the best and, and is around you the most and just say, of these four emotions... Which one a, do I most Which exemplify? do you think is yeah. the clearest problem for me? Now, you probably already know that, and mm -hmm. so this step is not needed. But mm -hmm. you can at least do that. And just start there. Yeah. Like okay, I'm a I'm a combination of performance, approval, and and comfort, and I, I I get tripped up all the time. But just start what you know. Just start at the at the yeah. one that you see think trips you up the most. Just start memorizing scripture around your anger. Yeah, yeah. The anger the anger of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. Mm. You know, mm. let everyone be quick to listen and slow slow to, to speak and slow yeah. to become angry. Yeah. Um, just begin to memorize and think on those verses and um, start, with, start with the stuff you know. Yeah. Don't make it like super complicated. Yeah. So for my wife and your wife, we both married people who are, you know, control oriented. Uh, for her, the sovereignty of God, trusting that God will take care of the details and that she can fail and actually not get everything done, but that somehow God will still, she can give her best effort and God will Still yeah. sovereign. Yeah. That's really freeing for her because otherwise she'll go crazy. And then for me, it was living for the approval and getting my marching orders, not from strong, powerful leaders or my friends or the needs around me even. Yeah. As important as those are. Yeah. Yeah. But to get my marching orders from God himself. Yeah. Uh, that I don't, you know. And so, and then of course for comfort, boy, uh, there's, the Christian life is not comfortable. It's just always going to yeah. be uncomfortable. So there's always As soon ways. as you get comforted, you know, as soon as you're comforted, comfortable then it's gonna it's gonna change yeah. so it's fleeting at every time um abraham also his his life story shows us all sorts of edges to this i mean he doesn't get to perform god basically says uh, every metric you have for success i'm going to take away you're going to leave your family your land you're going to start over as a dusty yeah. nomad yeah approval he has to leave his family they're going to be disappointed they're going to wonder what he's doing for it's sure. certainly not comfortable He's called to leave his home and to go, go somewhere to new that he does not and know. talk about control. There's no control. Right. God says, I'll drive. You know, I won't even tell you where you're going. I'm right. incomplete. So God challenges each idol or each heart motive 
I think because he wants to be in the center. Yeah, I think that I, I think that he's going to do. He loves us enough to do that for all of us. <laughs> I mean, it, it's an act of love. If right. you had, a, if you yes. have a child, yes, and he's no good at math, well, and he's in the third grade and he's really struggling to try to get it. You're going to help him. You're going to press in, lean into math, and if you have to, you're going to go get a tutor. Yeah, you're going to spend extra time. You're going to go and talk to the teacher about what needs to be done. Mm -hmm. You're going to explore different educational models to be able to teach math. You're going to do whatever you can to make sure that he gets it. That's what a loving parent does. And um, certainly he celebrates with you your strengths and your victories, but he's not going to overlook some places that you need to grow. Right, right. Um, Any final thoughts on this chapter? Things that maybe you didn't get to that you kind of wish you could have dive into a little bit more? Well... Yeah, I, I would say this whole idea of faith has become so squishy for us. The word faith. It's just the word faith. Yeah. And, and our response of faith, we, it, it becomes, a lot of times it becomes completely intellectual. I just embrace some things that I believe. Yeah. And because I believe that, I have faith in what I think. But there's no... Um, response to that. There's no action, no action from yeah. it. Or it just becomes so dependent upon my own definitions that I'm the standard bearer and the and the and the the champion of, of saying what is right and wrong and all of those kinds of things. It just loses so so um, I would just come back to the challenge that I closed with. Mm, and that mm-hmm. was if if faith is an action word, then this week do something you really want to do. Do it as an act of your will, in faith that it'll bring you joy. And then this week, do something you really don't want to do, but do it, and do it as an act of faith that it'll bring you character. Hmm. And it doesn't have to, just, I'd like to go for a walk. And then just go on the walk and just it be, let it be an expression of joy. Mm-hmm. I've got to wash the dishes. I don't want to wash the dishes. But as you wash the dishes, let it be. This is a character. This is an expression of Serving. love for my yeah. household. Yeah. This is this is the service muscle that yeah. needs to be developed in yeah. me. Every time you do, every time you act, it can be an act of faith, hmm. and it can be bringing you joy, bringing you uh, growth, growth, yeah. bringing you encouragement. Uh, building your character, yeah. changing, changing your world. Ooh, yeah. Because that's as I act it's out change. my faith, it's change. Yeah. They see my joy and are drawn to it, or they see my character being developed and they're challenged by that. Ooh, that's challenging. And, that's um, good. It's not rocket science, folks. Yeah. The life of faith is just action. It's b- certainly believing. Sure. But then trusting. Um, and then doing. even when it costs you and then doing yeah yeah well that's great steve uh and again this this is baked in to our core mission that we say again and again that we're about disciples trying to yeah. become more like jesus which is an active transforming never stopping journey which yeah. is um i i think that's exceptional i think it's i think it's i it's think it's exciting ex- i think it's, it's challenging so it's it's rewarding it's you know it's all it's, and it's it, not easy and it makes a difference <laughs> yeah and it makes a difference for others around us yeah, um but it sure isn't easy that's awesome well thanks steve thanks for your time you bet and we'll see you next week yeah all right
All right, hey everybody, welcome to The Afterword. I'm here with Sarah K. Lee. Sarah, welcome. Hi, Dave. Okay, so this week I wanted to delve into, and I hope this is fun for folks. I, I think it's fun, but I want I to delve into, yeah, I think it's fun too. I want to delve into the word faith. So the word faith is, if we talk about loving God, love is mushy, but I would say that faith is just as mushy and ill-defined as a word. So let's, let's dive into that. We also have some, um, some scholars that we're going to talk about that you've read and that you want to introduce people to, but let's start off with faith. Why is faith so mushy and what's the problem with the word faith in our modern world for us, modern Christians in the United States? Yeah, faith, there's just three ways that modern people have started to understand faith. One, that it's just unfounded belief. It's opposed to reason. Another is that it's only involves your mind. It's just some kind of cognitive belief. And third, that faith is passive. It's not active. Okay, so and, yeah. So so for the first one, it's unfounded belief. It's like when somebody says, I believe the Raiders are going to go all the way this year. Right. Even though their defense is terrible and they've got no secondary and their running back is awful. Not that that's true. I'm just saying in general. So that's unfounded reason. And you, you're saying that that's how some people understand belief. You just right. have to, you have to hang on against all reason to the contrary. Right. And yeah. And then the second, and then the second thing is only your mind. This is probably the most common that the Christian faith is just a series or a, a bunch of things that you mentally assent to, right? It's a decision. Yeah. Yeah. But it doesn't make demands on you. And the problem with that one, I, and I've seen this so often, is that it just doesn't make any demands on you. Like, right. it's just, it's almost like uh, we've used this example. I think Dallas Willard said it in one of his books. It might have been Divine Conspiracy. Like the idea that, no, The Great Omission. Do you remember that book, The Great Omission? Uh, he, he said, basically, the omission in The Great Commission is that belief is just something we believe. And it's like, it, it, we treat faith like a UPC code that God scans, like a series of beliefs. And if we have that, then we're okay. But then you lose the action. Right. Yeah. I've and, heard you say that example. That's, that's a good one. And then lastly, passive, not active. What does that mean? Or how do you interpret that? Uh, just that I, that I don't have to do anything. There's no response. There's no change or transformation that faith would, that would be involved with, yeah. with this faith this journey of faith thing that we're right. talking about. Yeah. Um, so how does Abraham obviously challenges this right in the story, right. Uh, but, but also this word, it says he's a man of faith. He's the father of the faith. Mm -hmm. This is said in the new Testament. It's affirmed in the old. Um, but it doesn't help that the word faith in English is not a verb. It's a, <laughs> it's, it, you, there's no verb form of faith. So like okay. what, so what do we do here? And, and how do we get, how do we, how can, what's helped you get to the point where you can understand this a little bit better? Well, it's like, it's what you've done in these first two key lessons where you're giving more language, like you're nuancing the word faith. You're, it's loyalty and commitment and trust. So just really understanding like the depth and the breadth of the word faith has been really helpful for now, me. Yeah. So you introduced, well, I think we both were reading it at the same time. I was, I was assigned it, but you had already read it. And it was a scholar 
Um, so why don't you introduce the folks to, to him, because he's done some real work and scholarship on this word faith. Yeah, Matthew Bates, he wrote, the book I read was Salvation by Allegiance Alone, and his subtitle is Rethinking Faith Works and the Gospel of Jesus the King. And this is from 2017 by Baker Academic. And he's a he's a uh, assistant professor at Quincy University, I believe. And so he's his whole book is just let's going back to that Greek word pistis and really getting into what does it mean and um, so he comes. The thing is, like Bates off the bat comes out swinging. And he just says, we need to get rid of the words faith and belief in English because he says, excise them from Christian discourse. Just stop saying it. So he's really. Uh, so he's saying the words faith um, are, and belief are just not helpful anymore. They've lost too yeah. much meaning and we yeah. need to get to some sort of other word. So the title is salvation by allegiance alone. You and yes. I would say salvation by faith alone. Right. And he's trying to make a point that the Greek word pistis actually has a couple different sides to it like a coin yes and one of the sides is trust what you and i might call trust like and the other side is what he would call allegiance right, right. so how does that how does that help us yeah so he he really helpfully goes through what are eight elements of the true gospel and i'm just going to read them real quick sure one jesus pre-existed with the father Two, Jesus took on human flesh, fulfilling God's promises to David. Three, Jesus died for sins in accordance with the scriptures. Four, Jesus was buried. Five, Jesus was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Six, Jesus appeared to many. Seven, Jesus is seated at the right hand of God as Lord. And eight, Jesus will come again as judge. So I think we would all agree. Those are that's the gospel, that's the full gospel. And it should sound familiar. All of those points are in the apostles creed. Yeah. Those are foundational to our faith. And so Bates, what he says is that that seventh point that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God has been kind of overlooked. It's been a, a little bit forgotten and that's really unfortunate and that affects the way we talk and think about faith because if Jesus is at the right hand of God right now that he's king and that he, that's a really important part of our understanding of who he is and who we are and how we are to respond to him so kings kings have kingdoms and they also have people servants exactly and so therefore because he's a king there's a demand of allegiance and so that's there's fair, yeah so, and you can't have two Kings. If you're a person, you you're loyal to one King or the other, you can't right. have two. That's so right. in some ways, the word allegiance is actually helpful in our modern world. It's interesting. Even as you said that, think about what we celebrate Christmas, the birth, mm -hmm. Easter, the death and the resurrection, but we hardly ever go back to what the early church did, which was the fourth thing, which was the Ascension. Yeah. There's other is, scholars, which are really starting to write about that about the ascension also being left out yeah well i think it's pro probably because we're in we're folks who were products of the enlightenment we're the kings we're the ones who rule things we have rulers we have systems we don't need god to help down here we've got it thank you very much 
But as things have spun out of control for the past 200 years, multiple world wars, the Holocaust, all the things that we've gone through as a globe, perhaps people are starting to wake up to the idea, oh, we actually need a good king and we can't do it. Uh, there needs to be a, a different thing. Uh, one of the things that I thought was interesting in, uh, in Matthew Bates's argument and talking about pistis is he does a study of it in the ancient world and how it was used. Yeah. And one of the things that was fascinating, I'm going to read from you. Uh, this is not in the Bible. This is in First Maccabees, which is actually an apocryphal book in the intertestamental in period. Right? It, yeah, in the intertestamental. Here's how it's used. And I think that this might get us to somewhere. Um, King Demetrius to the nation of the Jews, greetings. Since you have kept your agreement with us and have continued your friendship with us and have not sided with our enemies, you we have heard of it and we have rejoiced. Now continue to keep the faith or pistis with us and we will repay you with good for what you've done for us. This mm -hmm. is clearly fidelity, commitment, and allegiance to a ruler. And, and Bates is trying to say, this is how this word was commonly used. It's one side of the coin. So trust is one side. You actually trust God. But on the other side of that coin is allegiance. Yeah. And this starts to make a little bit more, more sense. Because if Jesus is just about us believing certain truths, then why would he say things like go sell all that you have and give to the poor and then follow me, you know? And that's exactly, Bates, he really helpfully points out that Jesus didn't tell his disciples to like, ask me into your heart. He said, follow me. Like there's something you have to do. Okay. So what's the danger if we ignore Bates's corrective here on the Greek word pistis, or also if we have a shallow understanding of the word faith, it, it seems to violate what Abraham's doing, but it also seems to violate kind of the broader um, demands of Jesus and the demands of the Bible. So I, in a way, it's kind of like what Bonhoeffer would call a like cheap grace. Like God does all this for us. And then we just like, what, we just sit idly by? Is that, what's, what's the danger of ignoring Bates's corrective here? Yeah, I think, yeah, you said it. It's just that we, we're not going to experience the full, the richness of God's grace if we're not completely in, if we're not all in, if we're not uh, giving our allegiance to God. So what word do you use now that you, if faith is not a good word, what, what, what word helps you when you, <laughs> when you, when you think about this, like, as you're talking about with your friends, with your kids, with your husband, with everybody, what word helps you get to the heart of what, what God's asking here? Um, I do like allegiance. That's been really helpful. And yeah, one word that's been really helpful for me is faithfulness. And so adding those suffixes on the end of faith has really just started shifting my understanding of faith. And so faithful is going to go more toward being characterized by faith. Mm -hmm. And then faithfulness, it just even exemplifies that quality of faithful. Am so, I being faithful to God? So that's, that's kind of yeah. the question. And that's a probing question because then it makes demands of me. Am I being faithful? Right. A am I a person filled with faithfulness toward God who was faithful to me? So it makes demands. Yeah. And that's the key is that God is faithful. Like great is his faithfulness. And that's over and over in the Bible. And it actually love and faithfulness seem to be connected really tightly when I was looking at it this past week. And so if we're talking about loving God and it's because he first loved us, it's, you could just also say, 
love God and be faithful toward him because he was first loving and faithful toward us. Yeah, absolutely. And, and if you look, and that's why I think the story of Abraham is so interesting. He's building altars and he should be technically building altars to the foreign gods. He's in a foreign land. That's what would have been expected. You would expect him in the text to make an altar to Baal, the chief God of the Canaanites, which is where he's standing. And he doesn't, he never does. He only makes altars and he makes, he's an, he is an altar making machine. Like Abraham (laughs) is an altar making, he's just making altars all the time. And he's calling out, not on the name of Baal, and he's not making altars to uh, to Baal. He's doing it to Yahweh, the creator God. His allegiances are to this God. And there's lots of stuff he's going to get wrong, but this one, he doesn't. He gets this one right. He never pledges allegiance or shows, builds an altar to any other God. And um, Israel would do well to be like him, right? If they would have followed his example, you know, it would have been better. So would we. <laughs> yeah. And so would we. Absolutely. Uh, any other thoughts on... Um, on, on this, on this idea of faith and trust and allegiance and, and the tie between these, these, these multiple dimensional words. Yeah. Just another, um, the other scholar in the book that we wanted to highlight is Scott McKnight. He wrote a really helpful book called King Jesus gospel. And the whole book is really comes down to these two words, decision and disciples. And that, Often in modern evangelicalism, we've just focused on the decision part of the gospel. And really the apostles were always obsessed with making disciples. And so just as a corrective and as a way to just make sure that we're honoring Jesus as king, that we need to be focused on our allegiance to him. So decision seems almost like a one-time thing, you know, or that might not be fair. Um, like you could say, I made a decision to marry my wife and that changed the rest of the trajectory, but decision in juxtaposed to the word disciple, disciples, absolutely ongoing. It's daily. There's no, there's no way around that word. And, and what's interesting is the Bible is filled with the word disciple. (laughs) Yeah. And I, I think Steve said it well this past weekend that God gives us this free gift of grace and salvation. And we have to say yes but we have to say it again every day. It's yeah. a continual, yes, it's a continual surrender and uh, to continue as a disciple in that journey. Yeah, I'm going to read uh, I'm going to read Galatians 3 from Paul as he's reflecting on Abraham, only I'm going to I'm going to put in Matthew Bates's definition of um of pistis of 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 faith, okay? All so right. um so Galatians 3. Understand then that those who have trust and allegiance to God are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by their trust and allegiance and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on their trust and allegiance are blessed along with Abraham, the man of trust and allegiance to God alone. That that makes a lot of sense to me. Like that makes that verse pop in ways that inserting the word faith it doesn't because faith is not a verb and it's a little mushy. And so that that was, that's really helpful. That was really helpful to me. Folks, as you read and you see the word faith, sometimes I'm like, is it trust? Is it allegiance? Is it both? I do that mental exercise. I replace the word and then it makes demands on me, which I think, and it makes me examine, you know, it makes me examine myself because in a world 
where people are deconstructing their faith, it might be good for me to deconstruct my own faithful or faithlessness too. That's right. also part of it. So yeah, be a loyal follower. I, yeah, all those words are really helpful to yeah. keep, us, keep us on track. Brashears, Gary Brashears had the term a faithful covenant partner. Mm. And so he, he even used the word faithful like you did. So anyway, Sarah, thanks for this. Great convo. Lot, man, there's lots in this. There, that's, that's a couple sermons. I mean, we could almost do a sermon series on the word faith, right? So great stuff. Thank you. Thank you. Just want to say thanks to Steve Clifford and Sarah K. Lee for stopping by. Next week, we're going to dive into the very difficult story of Hagar. Abraham has been on a hot streak and he's about to stop. He's going to get into a slump. He really messes up in this part of the chapter. We're going to examine that story, the story of Hagar, and the lessons we can learn from Abraham and from Hagar. That's next week. We'll see you then.